Thank you, guys. <clears throat> well, I want to start by just giving you a little something to think about and something to chew on a little bit. And that is the idea that we, the church, you and I, the people that have put their faith and trust in Christ, that we are God's plan for bringing hope into this world. So just think about that. You and I, we're God's plan, the church. We are God's plan for bringing hope and light into this dark world. We're, we're his main plan. If you think about it, we are his only representatives here on earth. We, the church, the people of God, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are Jesus Christ's only representatives. And this world is a mess, isn't it? This world is dark. Our society is dark. There's lots of problems. But we, individually and corporately, are to be beacons of light and bring hope to the dark world. And so God has put that on us, the church. And it's a great privilege, and it's a great responsibility. And so I want you to take that idea, take that thought, and just maybe even put yourself in that place and go, that's, that's on me, that's on us. I have a responsibility. I have the privilege of bringing hope where there is no hope. The message of healing through Jesus Christ where there's brokenness and pain and suffering. That I and you, we have been given that privilege, have been given that responsibility. And I want you to take that thought and kind of just Set it off on a side shelf over here, okay? We'll come back to that in a minute. <clears throat> now I want you to use your imaginations with me for a minute. Imagine our society just continues to kind of tailspin downward and persecution becomes uh, prevalent here in America. And let's say uh, there are, we're going to pick a guy. I'm going to make a guy's name up. Franklin. We got this guy Franklin, okay? Franklin happens to be the guy that's in this region, Northeast Phoenix. He is known for bringing persecution to the churches of Northeast Phoenix. And this man has gotten, uh, he's, he's gotten in with the leaders. He's gotten uh, legal documents so that he can come into local churches. And maybe we hear about him, and he's been over at Desert Springs, let's say. And we know we have some friends or relatives over there, and we hear that Franklin has caused some trouble over there, and he's dragged some people out, and he's caused some legal problems for these people, and maybe even a few of these people have been uh, abused or have been uh, tortured or have been uh, arrested for their faith in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, Franklin, this persecutor, shows up here, and Franklin begins to harass us on a Sunday morning. He's standing out front with maybe a few of his friends, yelling things at us as we try to worship. And then a little later in the week, maybe uh, you find out that, that Franklin is getting drawn up some papers so that he can specifically target you. Franklin comes in maybe the next week, and he, he again, maybe the law is, ends up even being on his side, and society is so far gone that there's no problem with him coming in and maybe even separating a single mom from one of their children and taking that, that mom and putting her under arrest. Maybe a couple weeks later, one of us is dragged out after the service and, and publicly flogged and humiliated, 
so that we can be made an example of to others in the community of what happens to those who follow Jesus Christ. So can you kind of picture that? Mm -hmm. Now take that same guy, Franklin. We don't hear from him for a while. And then all of a sudden we hear Franklin has put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Franklin is a converted man. And Franklin is preaching now the message of Jesus Christ. And you're like, okay, okay, that would, I can wrap my brain around that. And then Franklin wants to come and worship with us. And maybe it's your sister or your aunt or your brother or your sister that was uh, beat up or tortured or that was arrested. But he wants to sit next to you during Sunday service. And then he shows up. Of course, he's going to show up on potluck night. And he's not much of a cook, so he brings a couple bags of chips. Franklin has his bags of chips there, and he's, he wanted to share and, and sit down and, and talk to talk with you and to fellowship with us. And then the following Sunday is Communion Sunday, and he's sitting next to you, and Franklin's here, and you decide, you know, you have the, the elements, and you're like, should I pass them to this guy or not? This sucker, this son of a gun, and all through your heart and through your mind, these things are churned up where there was where he was one who caused you and your family and the family of God great suffering. Well, that's what we're going to look at today because we are called to be lights, bring, bring hope, but the church and church life can get really confusing and really messy. And I believe that it is by God's grace that a church is born, the church is born, big C church, that small C churches are born, sustained, and continue to grow, that it is a work of God's grace. Because that situation I just mentioned with our Franklin, that's kind of what happened with Saul. If you remember, last week we were talking about Saul, who was persecuting Christians, breathing out threats of death against them, going into the synagogues and taking them out of churches. As we're going to see this week, he wants to be part of the fellowship there in Jerusalem. And, and if you can imagine, that's going to probably cause a little bit of tension, isn't it? And those kind of things, I love that Scripture does not sugarcoat real life. It puts these situations for what they are. It puts it out there, and, and you can begin to see how God's grace works and touches real-life situations, messy, sicky situations. And so... We're going to talk a little bit today about, whoa, God's grace. It's God's grace that grows the church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9 or open your uh, Bible app. I'm going to read through the passage for today. We're continuing on through Acts. Last week we covered quite a few verses in chapter 9. Today we're going to cover verses 26 through 31. So let's read those together and then we'll pray one more time. So remember, Saul had been persecuting the church. Saul becomes a believer on the road to Damascus. And then we read this. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. And the idea there is that he continually kept on trying, that he, he kind of had to keep making efforts to try and join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Makes sense, right? And did not believe he was disciple. So here, right off the bat, we see two 
two major emotions that we can relate with, fear and doubt. This church has got fear and doubt, and I think it's for some legitimate reasons. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and had, he had spoken to him, how Jesus had spoken to Saul, and how he, Saul, had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist. And if you remember, the Hellenists are kind of like the Greekish Jews. They'd adopted some of the uh, Greek traditions and language. But they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, so this, this Jewish believers found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus, which was where he was born, his hometown. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Let me pray one more time. Father, we come before you. I thank you for this passage of Scripture. I thank you for getting to be a part of your family, the church. I thank you for the privilege and responsibility of being messengers of hope. And Father, I just acknowledge that church life can be confusing and it can be messy. We want to learn how to see your grace working in us, in this church, in such a way that the church would grow, that people would be added to your family through us, Father. And I pray that you would give us that conviction and that that would be real to us, that we have the privilege of getting to make your son known and that, that we are your son's representatives here on earth. And I pray that you would give clarity to us each individually through this scripture and through your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I wanna, I'm going to talk about a few different things here today. And the idea, although we're, we don't see the word grace in this passage, I believe the word grace permeates this passage. And hopefully that will make sense as we go through it. But we want to see how God's grace grows the church. And when I say the church, I'm not saying just Paradise Springs. Remember, Big C churches, all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are brought into the church, the family of God, the community of believers. And when I'm talking about we have a responsibility, the church, I'm saying we believers, the community of believers have that responsibility. And I think as we look at this passage that we can see the, the character uh, of God in his grace and that it's his grace. And, and let me just explain grace a little bit. It's a very churchy word. It makes a beautiful name, by the way, for grace. Uh, the old way that it would be said is the word charity, which we have, which is also makes a beautiful name, charity. Uh, so that, that name, that word charity, and the whole idea of grace, simplified, is it's an undeserved gift. And that can be something physical. If I give my daughter something and, and she was, uh, let's say that you know, she hasn't done the things that she needed to do, or she didn't get the grades that we thought she should be getting, but we decide to give her a gift just to let her know that we love her. We're showing her grace. It's not based, it's nothing deserved, but we decide to give her something freely. Another example of grace could be forgiveness. So if I do something wrong and I wrong my wife, 
which I did one time. No, if I, if I wrong my wife and she decides to forgive me, which she actually has to do regularly, praise God that she's willing to do that. What she's doing is she's giving me a gift of grace. When she forgives, forgiveness is a gift of grace. It's something I don't deserve necessarily. I deserve to be held at arm's length. I deserve to be yelled at. I deserve dirty looks. I deserve whatever it might be. But when someone forgives you, they're giving you a gift of grace. It's undeserved. Or when you forgive someone else, maybe they deserve the wall, or they deserve the hand, or they deserve a smackdown, or whatever it is that they deserve, and you give them a verbal smackdown. It might have to get physical, depending on the situation. But this, when someone gives you that, what they are doing is they are extending something to you, a gift that you don't necessarily deserve. Or when you do that for somebody else, you're giving them a gift of grace. And so as we talk about that, we're going to use grace, the word grace here quite a bit today. And if you're taking notes, you'll, you'll see it in the notes quite a bit. I just want us to understand what that, what that means. It means it's an undeserved gift, something we have not earned. And so as we see this, we take a big step back. We can see just the whole concept when we look at the Apostle Paul or Saul as he's known here, as we're looking at him now, that God turns sinners into saints. Is that an undeserved gift? That God would take a sinner, and you think about who Paul is, and God takes that man and cleanses him and makes him new and gives him the Holy Spirit and gives him a role, a big-time role in his plan. That's an undeserved gift. And you begin to look at that, and you can see that here he's brought into the church this man who is not who he used to be, and he's made a part of the community of God, right? Now, check this out. That's the same story for every single one of us. Sinners that were made into saints. And I'm not talking saints in the Catholic sense of the word saints. I'm talking about those who God has called holy ones, beloved. And so all of us, none of us, on our own merit, deserve to be called into the family of God, to be deserved to be handed the privilege and responsibility of bringing hope into this dark world, being called beacons of light in this dark world. But God, through His grace, turn sinners into saints. And that's true for every single one of us here. 100% of the church, 100% of the church is made up of sinners, of saints that used to be sinners. I know that's the case for me. I can look at me and I know that I don't deserve to be part of the family of God on my own merit. But God graciously does that. And so you can see as Paul is brought into this group at Jerusalem with Jerusalem, did he deserve that? No. But God brought him in to the body. So God's grace creates a church from sinful people. And if you think about it, it's really not about who we used to be. And so I want you to hear this because I feel like it's important. A lot of us live in who we used to be or the things that we have done in the past. 
And that's not the way God wants us to look at things. The way he wants us to look at things is who we are in Jesus Christ and who we've been made into by Jesus Christ. Our, our, our sins are, are like scarlet, but he washes us and makes us white as wool. Some of us deal with a, a guilty conscience and we run around feeling guilty and ashamed for our past. And guilty is based on what I do. Shame is based on who I am. And so we feel like I am just a low-life dirtball. And that's not what God says. God says, in and of yourself you're that, but I turn you into a holy one, a child of mine, a son or daughter of the Most High King, one who's been given hope and been given privilege of living with me for eternity. And that's what God does. That's God's grace, and you can see it here in this church, that God's grace turns Paul, a sinner, into a saint, and he's turned us, sinners, into saints. To me, that's good news. That's a good news message. <clears throat> Here's a couple of scriptures. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So it's none of us can boast about it. You want to say that you've earned your way to heaven or climbed your way to heaven? God says, that's not the way I operate. I offer you a free gift and you say, I'll take that free gift. And that, by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, is how... We are saved or given eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17. I kind of think that Paul might have, when he wrote this 2 Corinthians passage, I think he might have even been thinking a little bit of himself back there as he was trying to get into the Jerusalem church. And I think he might be saying, hey, don't look at people from a human. Don't look at people from a human point of view. Don't look at people based on their past. Look at them and who they are in Jesus Christ. And I can picture him even saying that in his own mind and his own heart. There is, he's trying to break into this Jerusalem church. Very, very likely who the same group of people that he had harmed their relatives, their family members, their friends. And that he was probably saying, don't look at me based on my past. Look at me who I am in Jesus Christ. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. We know Paul thought of Christ as a human, right? At one point, he thought he was dead. He thought he died in the grave. He thought these psychos started this cult. They're trying to infiltrate the, 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 um, the Jewish belief system and trying to mix this. And then what he said is, it, um, sorry, I just got distracted there. One time, uh, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. But then on that road to Damascus, do you think he was picturing him? from a human point of view anymore? No. Will you put that away? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, he didn't think of him from a human point of view anymore. And so really, it's the idea that we need to realize that we see people based on their past. God sees people based on who they are in Jesus Christ. And just as Barnabas was his advocate, right? Is Barnabas his advocate and going, hey, no, no, this is Saul. He saw Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our advocate. And if you think about that, when God looks at us, we have Jesus Christ, our advocate, going, no, 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 I died for that one. He's put his faith and trust in me. He now bears my righteousness. Just like Barnabas was advocating for Paul, Jesus Christ advocates for us. We're sinners who've been made into saints.
And that's all based on an undeserved gift, isn't it? Beautiful, beautiful picture. And you can begin to see, and if you'll see this can maybe building, the idea when I said put this on a shelf over here, if you begin to see what we've received, what we've been given, and you begin to, one, recognize that in your own life, and two, be, begin to enjoy that in your own life and enjoy forgiveness and enjoy eternal, the, the, the promise of eternal life. Enjoy that you have Christ with you, the Holy Spirit indwelling you. As you begin to believe, embrace those things, and then we believe to show those things, that kind of grace to each other, it will make us excited to go share that message with others and be the beacons that we need to be. And so I take the time to explain what God has done for us because I, I believe that it's hard for us to go out and pour that out into other people's lives and talk about God's grace and how awesome God is if we haven't ourselves been getting regularly filled up, meditating, enjoying, recollecting on the grace that's been shown to us. And so it's important for us to take time to do that. God's grace creates a church from sinful people. <clears throat> kind of what we've just been, been saying here, it's a uh, church is made up of not people who they used to be, but who they are in Christ now. And so I want to kind of give a clarity here. When I say made up of sinful people, probably a better way if you have your notes and you're taking it there, from put a little arrow in there and say former sinful people because in Jesus Christ we're seen as saints we're seen as whole we're seen as righteous so that's 100% and you may say well I haven't really done that much wrong we could go around the church here can I can I talk about you for a minute sure. all right former coke addict right here you know what he's an elder in our church <laughs> God's grace creates a church from former sinful people. Do I need to name a few of you guys' other sins? Did anyone get nervous? Going, I can tell people are looking down. I've told you about me. It's not because I'm an awesome guy that I get to be your pastor. It's because God's an awesome God. And His grace is overwhelming. And so God's grace creates a church from formerly sinful people. We still struggle with sin. I'm not saying we don't sin. I'm saying our identifying identity before God is saint, not sinner. God's grace takes messed up people and turns them into ministers. Just gave you an example, David Mitchell right here, right? We could go around the room, and some of you have ministered to others even this week. And, and some of us that have problems, and, and you know, my problems are just as big as your guys' problems. I have struggles. I'm just as sinful in my own flesh that everybody else is. And God calls us all as a church to be ministers. Isn't that good news? That he takes messed up people. Look at Paul. He took Paul, a murderer, and turned him into a minister. A persecutor turned him into a preacher. That's what God's grace can do. I have these neighbors down the road. And again, I say this to my own shame. But I have these neighbors down the road, and God is changing my heart towards them. But when they moved in, what I've called them for the longest time was Tweaker Nation. Because they're constantly out there taking stuff apart, and they're, 
it's a drug house. I, I mean, and there's just people coming and going and they're, you know, cleaning out their car. And for some reason, after seven hours of cleaning out their car, it still looks like they're living in it. Like, it's just one of these things you can tell the, the people they are. But as I begin and God begins to change my heart and I begin to see the power and the grace of God, I can begin to look at that person, the guy, Mr. Tweaker, and I, and I know that might be a really derogatory, harsh, mean term, but that's the family I even come from. I mean, as you guys know, but God can take that person that I think is a nut and turn that person into a powerful minister. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for one of your relatives that's so far gone and you're like, man, the last person I can see God touching would be that one. The last person I could see God using would be so-and-so. You know what? That's how big God's grace is. Because God takes messed up people and turns them into to ministers. He takes those who have been kicked around, beat up, all rolled through the dust and the dirt and ucky and icky, and he turns them into bright, shining examples of his love and of his grace. That's our wonderful Savior. That's why we call him a Savior and a rescuer, because he rescues us from a pit. And he not only rescues us from a pit, he doesn't just take us and put us in a trophy case, but he takes us and sets us out to be examples to others. So God takes messed up people, and sometimes messed up people, right, David? are the best people to become ministers for him. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Amen. That's true for a lot of us. A lot of us have embraced our messed upness, and we need to embrace the fact that God wants to use our messed upness to make us better ministers. That's sometimes our biggest and best platform. Talk about Tweaker Nation. Imagine that household getting saved. Look at the platform and the, amount, the, the number of people that they could reach through their testimony. Many of you have seen the testimony of my own mom who happens to be going to visit my brother today in prison, and it's the first time I've ever heard her say this. And she, she texted me earlier in the week and said, I feel kind of bad that I'm not going to be able to make it to church. And before, we could barely get her to come to our house. But God's transformed that lady. He's not only transformed her physically and healed her from addictions, but he's transformed her inwardly. And he's transforming and, and, and giving salvation even in relationships. So God takes messed up people and turns them into ministers. God's grace, right? Undeserved gift. Don't hold me looking bad at my neighbors against me. I'm working on it, guys. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. No. Nah. <laughs> God's changing me. He's probably wanting me to change before he's like, I got to work on you, man. What do you want me to mess with those guys for? Yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll talk. This is a verse. You can look it up later if you want. It's actually 11 and 12. And I kind of highlight or italicize the saints for the work of ministry. That God has picked the saints. He's called people to train them. But we're all the saints. As many people as we have here is as many people ministers as we have in this church. Someone asks you, how many ministers do you have in your church? And you can really make them think you have this huge church. You go, I don't know, we're around about 50, 60 ministers. Because we're all considered ministers in God's eyes. God's grace brings genuine reconciliation. Can you see that here? That Saul kept trying to join them. And he is even brought in so much so 
that as the Jews try to kill him, what do they do? They round and get him and take him to Caesarea and then get him off to, uh, get him off to Tarsus. So we go from this group of people that probably have a valid reason to fear, to hate, to, to, to say, no, we have to draw a line, and I have boundaries, and my boundaries are you need to find somewhere else to worship. And they find the, the, the forgiveness, the reconciliation through God's grace that they can embrace this man and bring him into the body. That's miraculous, isn't it? And if you've had reconciliation in your life with somebody from a, a, a relationship that's been messed up, broken, you know that reconciliation can be a very miraculous process. And it's usually done through an undeserved gift. Did Paul deserve that after his treatment of those people, family? No. But he was shown grace. Part of this is God's grace empowers us to boldly face our past. Man, how, how many of you have some things that you've done, and maybe even recently, that as soon as it pops up or you're somehow reminded of it, you do this thing where you start trying to think about anything else and you do the mind scramble where you try and just like, oh, I don't even want to think about that. I hate thinking about that. I hate talking about that. Well, when we embrace God's grace, we can boldly face our past. And so Paul could boldly face, he could boldly go in and try and get back into that church. And I believe it's because of this, because God's grace, he knew that he was forgiven even if they didn't forgive him. He knew that he was cleansed even if they saw him as marked and dirty. He knew that he was new even if they were seeing him as old. And so as we personally embrace our identity in Jesus Christ, and the, the forgiveness that God's given us, and the life that God's given us, and the hope that God's given us, and the newness that God's given us, as we truly embrace that, it makes it easier for us to face our past, and I would say even our sinful presence. You know, one of the biggest things I think sometimes, as I talk to people and they're struggling in their marriage, one of the biggest things is that usually as, as the consequences start coming, you know, they're sowing these bad things, these bitterness or lying or deception or whatever it is. And as those things, those fruits start to bear up in their life and there's separation or there's doubt or there's these kind of uh, trouble in the relationship or estrangement. One of the things very often that happens is that people begin rather than to accept those consequences and just go, even after a change of heart, you go, I have a change of heart. I want to change everything. But there's still some consequences. They have a hard time accepting those consequences a lot of times. A lot of times I say, hey, you sowed those seeds, man. You got to wait till that, you got to wait till that, that crop is gone. And so sometimes in a relationship, if we've done something wrong, then we want to just go, consequence is gone. But I'll tell you, as you embrace God's grace, as you embrace God's goodness, you as you embrace God's love for you, even in that, you can endure the consequences. I understand why my wife doubts me all the time. I'm not saying she does, but I'm saying I'll give an example. I can understand why my business partners demoted me or whatever it is. They're, they're talking about getting me out, but I can still have joy and I can have peace. And I believe that Paul knew who he was in Jesus Christ, so it made it to where he could go there and face rejection 
from those Jerusalem Christians and be okay with it. God's grace makes us all ministers of reconciliation. So let's look at this verse here. This is part of the one we looked at earlier. So we have stopped evaluating others from a mere human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we think of him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, new creature, if you know the old version there. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Think about that. We were once estranged. God brought us back and made us in good relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this message of what? Reconciliation. This wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right. Or the versions, other versions say, we could be given the righteousness of God. <clears throat> Just a quick thought here. <clears throat> if you look at what's happening here, what he says is, Jesus Christ reconciled you so that you could become a reconciler for others and bring others that message of reconciliation. And if you think of it, that's exactly what happened for Paul. God reconciled Paul, and then Paul became a man who went and brought that message, and this is Paul's writing here, that he could bring that message of reconciliation to others. And so just that idea that God's grace brings genuine reconciliation, not just for us, not just in the church, but God is all about reconciliation. I believe that's one of the biggest messages of the Bible is redemption, restoration, reconciliation. Man sinned, fell, broke fellowship with God, God provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ. That's reconciliation. God's always working for reconciliation. Our world is broken. It needs to be restored. It needs to be reconciled to God. And God does that for us as individuals. He does that within a church. And then as he does that within communities of believers, he wants that same message of reconciliation to go out to the world, to go, you know your messed up life? You know your messed up situation? There is hope for that. There's a hope for restoration. There's a hope for reconciliation first with God and then that there would be healing in the relationships. <clears throat> God is a God of reconciliation. and We've been made ministers of that reconciliation. God's grace is bigger than what we can see at the moment. You think about that and you think about this passage and Paul or Saul... Uh, Paul ends up being his Greek name later. It's kind of the ones the Jews called him Saul, and then he ministered to the Gentiles, so he became Paul. If that's ever been confusing to you, that might help a little bit. Like, why does this guy have two names? Um, plus, I believe it also marks his new identity in Christ. But can you imagine him coming into that church, and then someone's the pastor that morning getting up, talking in the church, and going, God's grace is so amazing isn't it? And you're sitting there and you're going, this son of a gun sitting next to me. I know what he did and I know what 
and you're going, I can't. I'm not seeing anything but red, man. Don't tell me about God's grace. I want to get this guy out in the parking lot. And I'm not sure I can take him, so I'm going to hit him with my car because I know he can't stop a car. Right, right? So that's the way, I mean, I, I don't want to go down the roads that my sinful mind can go into. But when someone's talking to you about grace at that moment, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so think about that as, as, as he's trying to get in. And I can imagine those saints going, this is too much. God, why are you putting us through this? Give us somebody else. Don't send this guy into our church. I don't think they could probably see God's grace working there very clearly. And then even Paul, I, I believe, so he, we already know that in Damascus he's preached and they tried to kill him. They lowered him down over in, in a basket. And then uh, it says here that he goes into Jerusalem, finally makes some inroads, and he kind of starts talking to these Hellenistic or Greekish Jews. And then they try and run him off. They have a mark on his head, as it says there in the passage. And God's grace is at work even in times of suffering and confusion. And I believe Paul was probably trying to figure out exactly what was going on. Going, I've turned my life over to you. What's going on? Well, God made it really clear. And I'm giving you guys a spoiler alert. I usually don't do this, but we're going to go all the way to chapter 22 in the book of Acts here. Now, Paul here in chapter 22 is kind of saying a little something that was happening back here in chapter 9. He's kind of referring back, and he says this. Now, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those. So this is what the guy was up to. I mean, he was imprisoning and beating people. Beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I, was also, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, said, Depart, or Christ, I don't know who exactly is speaking here, the Lord. He said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now this is God's grace, even though we don't see it and it doesn't make sense. That God takes this man and he says, I'm not going to use you here in Damascus. And again, I think he was probably confused going, I'm the Jew of all Jews. What do you mean you're not going to use me here among these people? God's like, no, these people aren't going to accept you. I'm sending you out somewhere else. I'm sending you out to the Gentiles. And what that ends up being is it doesn't make sense. If you're in this situation, it doesn't make sense. But God is using him to bring grace to others. And for us, a lot of times, I don't know what your situation is right now. Maybe you're facing something that involves some suffering or some confusion. Maybe it's something that, you know, you've lost a job. Maybe you needed to lose that job so that there could be some restoration and some family relationships. Maybe you needed to lose that job so you could go out and try something different because you've been limiting what you should be doing. Maybe you lost that job because you needed to learn a lesson about how crummy of a worker you've been. But there's God's grace in that, even though you can't see it and it may be painful and it may be confusing. You may be having health issues. I mean, we could just go down the line. You may be having health issues. Maybe God's trying to get your attention 
to, to, to live differently or to get connected with some new people, and he's going to use that in a big way. Maybe God's getting your attention and giving you a heart of empathy because you need to be empathetic towards those who have suffered with health issues before. It doesn't always make sense, and we can't see what God's doing in the moment, but God's grace is working even in moments of suffering and in, in moments of confusion. <clears throat> and so as we, as we consider this, and again, I know there's a lot there in, in these few verses, but God's grace grows a church. It's God's grace that turns sinners into saints. It's God's grace that can bring restoration to where there can be restorations in relationship, relation, relationship with God. And it's God's grace that can get us through so we can face the past, so we can face the present, so we can face the confusing times. It's God's grace knowing that he has a good gift for us in the middle of it all. And here's something, a couple thoughts. I want to go back to that main idea. That the church is God's plan for making Christ known. The church is God's plan for bringing hope into the darkness. The church meaning us. We're his representatives here on earth. I truly believe, and you're like, okay, I get it. I truly believe the best way we can do that is first, recognizing his grace in our own life in regards to our past, in regards to our present, in regards to what might happen in the future and all the confusion that surrounds that, and we embrace and we actually enjoy and buy into God's grace. And then next, I think, as we begin to show that grace to one another in here, and there's restoration, and there's not pigeonholing people, and there's love shown to people that maybe you've been a little suspicious about or kept arm's length, but you begin to see what it looks like to have a Christ-like relationship and demonstrate grace there. And I believe as we do that and continue to do that, we will be filled with the energy and the excitement and the motivation and the ambition to go, I do have a message of hope. I've lived it and I've seen it in community. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. And I want to bring that message to others. But if you're not enjoying and embracing that, I would, I would please be a grace case this week. Make yourself a grace case. Go, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and soak up God's grace. And I'm even going to try and give a smidge of it out to some other people. And begin to see what happens. It may go against your natural tendencies, but I could bet for every bit that you soak in and enjoy God's grace, you'll be doubly blessed. That's my, my bet. It may not be the blessing the way you're thinking of it, but it'll be a supernatural blessing. The world needs Jesus Christ. It needs the grace of God, and we are ambassadors of his hope and of his grace. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Let's enjoy that, let's live it here, and let's spread it out there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have because of him. Please make us bold in our own lives with your grace that we wouldn't find excuses not to accept your love or to accept your grace or accept your forgiveness, that we wouldn't argue in our own minds about why this and why that, but that we would just buy into your love for us and your grace. Help us to show that to other people, Father. And I pray that it would happen here and happen in our relationships outside of here. 
Help people to see light in us, the light of Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for all that we have, all the spiritual blessings we have because of your son. We pray these things in his name. Amen.